as speech pathologists, we, we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and, and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or, or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions. And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hello and welcome to the Speak Up podcast for the Ethics team for June. I'm Trish Johnson, I'm the Manager of Ethics and Professional Issues at Speech Pathology Australia and I'm joined today by Nadia Marzinski and Kelly Williams who are our Ethics Advisors. Hi Nadia and Kelly. Hey Trish. Hi Trish. Today we thought we'd try something a little bit different. We are again talking about frequently occurring questions that members of Speech Pathology Australia call us about or email us with questions about. But what we're going to do today is we're each going to read a brief scenario, which is an amalgamation of some of the themes that come up in the queries we receive. Uh, But we haven't actually rehearsed this. So we haven't heard each other's questions and we haven't heard each other's responses and we haven't practiced them because what we would like to do is to replicate how it is when, uh, how it sounds when People call us and we have a discussion on the fly about what are some of the ethical issues and some of the decision-making factors that need to be considered. So off we go. This is a bit of a trial for us and we'll see where we end up. All right, so the first one is a case study that I'm going to read and it's on advertising because this is a very hot topic at Speech Pathology Australia. So Nadia and Kelly... You are a sole provider working mostly in paediatrics and with children with disability. You are aware of the Speech Pathology Australia advertising policy, but you want to post a video of a client who has just received an AAC device and has immediately started using it to request things that they want to access, they want access to. Can you post this video on your social media or on your website? Thanks, Trish. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll take this question. Um, so we really want to encourage members to be promoting their, their businesses. Um, but it's really important to consider consent. And consent must be written and informed. So it's really important that um, members are gaining written informed consent from their clients and from their clients' parents or guardians for posting um, and the content that they're going to post and also the photo or the video that they might be using. Now that consent needs to include information on how long it will be available on the internet. Um, We recommend that uh, members have a timeline for how long it's going to be available and when they're going to delete it. So um, perhaps around the year mark. Um, Parents need to be aware that once the content is posted, there's no ability to prevent it from being uh, screenshotted or shared beyond your original post. So um, it's really important that you're thinking through the ethical um, implications of posting photos, images, 
uh, content about your clients uh, onto the internet where you then lose control over where that information goes. Um, you also need to be careful about the accompanying text that goes with it. If you write clinical information or outcomes next to that post, then that will turn it into a testimonial. Now, testimonials are concerning because they induce a potential client to make a decision about their healthcare based on emotions. Um, they're not based on health needs that, are, that may be causing that person to seek that service. So it's important um, to note that testimonials might set up expectations of outcomes that may not be applicable to, to every client. Um, they're subjective and they're not factual. Um, we are going to put together a articulate course um, providing a lot more information around the topic of advertising, the ethical implications that you need to think about when you're advertising, and also pulling together all of our resources and tools that we have on this topic. Um, one of those tools is a self-audit test that you can, you can use um, to make sure that your content is ethical um, and also a, a flowchart to help with your decision making when you're using, um, when you're writing content, uh, what will and won't make it a testimonial. Kelly, can I just jump in there as well and just add about, you spoke so nicely about the idea of consent. And one of the things that I think we need to be thinking a little bit more about as a profession generally is the idea of assent, which is that we should be asking the client, even if they're not somebody that has the ability to give that informed consent in that moment in time, that they should still be able to let you know whether they're okay about it going up on your website as well. So mum and dad might say yes, but then the child might say no. And that's something that we need to consider within all of that as well. Yep, that's really important. And one of the things that Speech Pathology Australia does have in the advertising policy is that we, we really discourage the use of client images on social media and on websites. And uh, something that you said, Kelly, really struck me in that once it's up there, you lose control of, over what happens to it. And it's so important that our clients and or their parents understand that because everyone's excited, you know, if, if a child receives an AAC device and they start using it straight away, how amazing is that? And you get caught up in that emotion. But if we put anything like that up on the internet, it's out there and we don't have any control over it. The parent no longer has any control over it. So it's really important that all of those issues are discussed. All right, Nadia, I think we're ready for your question. What are you going to throw at us? Um, mine is about professional communication. So my case study is you are a speech pathologist and you've just recently had a spike in referrals over the last couple of weeks in a local nursing home. They've got some extra funding. It needs to be used up in a timeline and they previously haven't been able to afford speech pathology input. In your eagerness to ensure that everyone has had some of your input, you're a little less diligent than you might ordinarily be on your record keeping. You're contacted by one of the children of the resident and you realise that you haven't sought informed consent before starting seeing that client and your notes are incomplete. What are you going to do? Okay, well, two immediate things jump out at me in that scenario. The first one is informed consent, which you've mentioned. And as we all know, but sometimes, as you say, get caught up in the rush of doing things and don't really think about what does that mean in every particular situation, um, we have a professional ethical and also legal obligation to make sure that we do have informed consent for 
whatever service we're providing, whether that's an assessment, whether it's some sort of intervention. If we're there to, to do um, provide any of our professional services to a client, we have to have their informed consent. And obviously, there may be some people living in a residential aged care facility who aren't able to provide that informed consent themselves. And therefore, the imperative is that we have to um, have a conversation with their substitute decision maker. Um, and the family is always a good place to start. Uh, and if if there are other people who need to be consulted, there would be some mention of that in the in the client's record or the resident's record. So informed consent is an imperative. If a situation happens where you've done something and um, it it becomes apparent that you haven't got the informed consent, it's really important to address it straight away. So have that conversation as soon as you identify that you didn't actually get the informed consent appropriately before you started so that it doesn't roll on into a bigger issue. Um, Having someone sign a piece of paper is not necessarily making sure that you have informed consent. We have to make sure that, that our clients and or their substitute decision makers understand what, what it is that we're offering and what it is that we're going to be providing. And so the best way to do that is to have a conversation. And yes, it takes a bit longer. And yes, you have to do that before you actually can go in and provide that service. But it is, again, that ethical obligation and professional obligation to do that. Um, if you have something in writing, that is good because then you have that documented that you can put into your file and, or the residence file in the residential facility. Um, so having the informed consent on a document is good, but it's not the only thing that we should be doing to make sure it is truly informed consent. Um, the second issue in that scenario, of course, are clinical notes and completion of clinical notes and having a, a thorough record of what's happening in our clinical files are always going to be an important aspect to providing a professional service. Record keeping is not optional. As we know, it's an obligation. It should be detailed and clear enough that another speech pathologist could have a look at what we've been doing and replicate or understand what we are wanting to do with that client. So um, it's it, again, it's an important issue that you should identify and as soon as you identify that it hasn't, the record keeping hasn't been up to an appropriate standard, remedy it then and there. Don't put it off. Don't think, oh, well, it doesn't really matter in this situation. It's always something that we need to do. And I know that's I sound really dogmatic about that, but that's the reality is that we can't get away from it. It's just something that we need to do. Um, Kelly, did you have any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I just wanted to add something on the, the topic of informed consent. Um, when you're seeking consent, it's important that the information that you give is delivered in a way that's understood by your client for it to truly be informed. So you need to make adaptations maybe of how that information or message is given to, um, to work with maybe a communication impairment that the, the client may have. Yeah, thanks for that, Kelly. And also something that's just occurred to me about um, record keeping as well. If you are um, undertaking some sort of professional service provision that involves a lot of people, whether that's in a group or the scenario that you just presented, Nadia, where there's a number of residents in one particular facility, really important thing is to consider what type of records you are keeping. Um, it's not necessarily appropriate to use a template because you can't have the same record for every patient 
or every client, you may have, you may use a template to structure it, you know, the old SOAP notes, SOAP notes, or have a particular structure that suits the, the scenario where you're working, but you should always write individual notes for each client um, because basically it's a record of what's been provided to that person and how they've responded on an individual basis. Alrighty, I think we're up to number three. Kelly, you've got a question for us. So my question is for Nadia. Nadia, I have a, a case example or case study for you here. You have a new client you're working with who has just started working with a range of other interventionists. One of those interventionists is recommending that your client is a good candidate for facilitated communication. You're shocked to hear that professionals are recommending facilitated communication, despite the research. And when you raise concerns with the parents, they become emotional and state that as a speech pathologist, they want you to play a large role in this communication goal and that they are unwilling to compromise on using facilitated communication. Well, that's a tricky one, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's it's really, really tough when things come up when somebody, either the family or somebody else on the team, is really set on using something that you know to be not evidence-based and that it's not going to result in in a beneficial outcome for the client. Reading between the lines in this, I'm feeling like this person probably feels like they want to see services um, because that recommendation isn't something that they can get on board with and it isn't aligned with our code of ethics. So the first thing to know when we're talking about ceasing services is that you can do it. It's okay. We often get people going, am I allowed to do this? Yes, yes, you are. Um, one of the things that you should have in place before you do that, though, is a policy which steps out what that is going to look like. So that's talking about making sure that the client has some procedural fairness for them. So one of the steps in that policy needs to be that you'll help them find another speech pathologist. This could be that you're going to refer them to somebody that you know will be a good fit. Otherwise, maybe in a situation like this where you almost certainly don't know anyone that will be a good fit for this situation, you can just pull some names off of the Find a Speech Pathologist search on the SPA webpage. Now, there are some things that we really strongly recommend that are also in a ceasing services policy. Um, a timeline for how long you can keep seeing them would be something that we'd recommend. Um, if you are immediately ending services, that might make them feel like they've been abandoned by you, and that's something that we really want to ensure doesn't happen. Um, so offering them some kind of handover to the next person or some time to try and find another speech pathologist might make sure that they feel like there's a bit more of a continuity of service that's happening. This is best done when you are ceasing services. It's best done in a conversation, um, ideally face to face. But, you know, it, it's tricky times at the moment. That might not be possible. But ideally, you wouldn't send them an email to start with. You might follow up with an email that really formally documents what that conversation was about, which is great. Um, and it could be helpful in the future as well. You should also have a plan for what happens if the funding window ends, for example, if they're an NDIS client, um, before they're able to get into another speech pathologist. Are you going to write them a report? Are you going to proactively write one at the end of the time that you're seeing them? What's going to happen within all of that? So, yeah, there's some things to consider with that. Yeah, that's really great, Nadia, and it's so relevant to this situation. But I think there's something else that we need to talk about here, and that might be if you feel you're in a situation where you can't discharge that client um, and you're the only person, say, for example, within 100 kilometres or you know that everybody else around you has waiting lists that are two years long, what's your ethical obligation there? And it can be difficult to know how to continue the conversation with that parent while, while still supporting them 
to move their thinking to what is an appropriate intervention for that client. And it doesn't necessarily have to be facilitated communication. It can be um, some other non-evidence-based intervention they've come across or an intervention they want that you know is probably not going to provide the most benefit for their child. So how do you maintain that positive relationship with the parent while you steer them in the direction of, well, actually, I think that it's my professional opinion is that we actually should be heading down this pathway instead. And there is some merit to the the scenario where um, you may not, if we can put facilitated communication aside for a minute, but you, you may not necessarily start on the intervention they're wanting you to start, but it will take some time for you to help them um, develop their understanding, develop their ideas and knowledge about what is going to provide benefit to their child. And it's okay to, to start on that pathway if you know that you are, are the most likely person to help them develop that understanding. Um, so it's, it's certainly, it's perfectly fine to cease provision of services if there is a, a very fundamental difference of opinion in what is appropriate to provide. But also sometimes there is, um, it's appropriate to continue to work with that client on other things, if you can, uh, while you're helping the parent or the decision maker come along uh, a pathway to understand what is going to be the most appropriate thing for that person to, the intervention to receive. Um, and we do actually, uh, we're going to have a collaborative in June that will be talking about ceasing services. So that's something to look out for. And I forgot to mention earlier in our podcast that we also have an earlier ethics collaborative that has been recorded with Dr. Arthur Alice around the legalities of note keeping. So keep your eyes open for those ethics collaboratives because they explore these these topics a little bit further. Um, the ethics collaboratives are all free and you can find them on the Learning Hub, um, either ones that we have recorded and done in the past or the ones that are coming up will be there as well. So hopefully uh, we've covered a couple of the frequently asked questions today that we do receive from members and you can hear how we work our way through some of the decision-making ourselves and and remind ourselves of the topics and information that we need to provide to people. Please still keep contacting us, ethics at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au or you can call us on the national office numbers and we'd love to have a chat with you. And thanks Nadia and Kelly for the discussion today. It's always great to have this roundtable where we can hear each other's ideas. Thanks everyone. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.